0: Now the moment you've been waiting for. That one special moment that has been coming your whole life. That you're still waiting for. It's almost here. It's dark sense. Angels, savant Syndrome, on the most sassy show on the planet. With your host, the Mystic Man. Right after a message from our sponsors. All right, thank you for joining the Mystic Man here, and I bring to you John F. Kennedy. Channeled through me. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. But you will hear a speech of his that is one of my favorites. As a young man, I used to listen to this speech almost every other day for many months. And then through the years, I would go back and listen to it again. It's a speech he did on secret societies in a speech to the press to the media during very tough times now it's pretty clear by historical events of what happened and what the choice was by such secret Societies. They chose cowardice and lack of accountability, which is pathetic of them. It is pathetic. Childish. Weak. Only those that lack integrity are the same that lack. Strength that lack courage and generally lack IQ. Really, I like to say I don't believe in evil, I believe in good, and then you have stupidity because when you look at it, all the acts. Of evil. Of actions that are despicable or wicked or crooked. Well, they're all stupid. Short-sighted. Obtuse. Formulated on wrong information. Based out of fear. generally most of it's really just based out of fear. Pathetic. And it's important to recognize that. And to remember that. For everybody. This way you remember the aim. This way you remember you're better than that. This way your actions uphold the proof and evidence that you are better than that and this way all that choose to not be better than that can know that they are pathetic and lack character as they run from their humility it's ironic as a show lacking, they are in character, as humility builds character, John F. Kennedy was a man of humility, he was a very much accountable man, he cared care should ever gain any amount of power that should be clear as day why would we want people in power if they did not care it's really <laughs> it's troubling to me you see like the only way in which you could see you know, the difference between a person that cares and a person that doesn't is by you yourself caring. The only way that the events of our age, 2020, have come to be, well, for one, it's from people that do care not being heard by the people that don't care. We have civic duty. We have a common interest in our freedoms could only be from ignorance and stupidity that we would fail in caring about these things it would be us sacrificing it saying it doesn't matter to us well I say it matters to me I'm not sacrificing my freedom or my rights. Give me liberty or give me death. And I mean that, you know, as it's really important. See, a lot of people right now, they're... It's sad and it sucks because a lot of us are depressed and a lot of people are suicidal. I say that if you're going to be suicidal... Well, you might as well have your life up standing for something that's important to all of us if you have a problem with the world or with anybody you have to speak up otherwise you're choosing it if you don't let your voice be heard really have the right to complain right or even feel negative about a thing because the thing is, is that you do have a voice and it does matter even if it's just so much as you voicing it your political personal opinion to a friend or to a stranger or to family that is important nowadays a lot of people they don't want to talk about these kinds of things for one because they don't know too much about it which is not a good idea you should know, you should learn, you should try to learn it's never too late to start please start paying attention to politics start paying attention and pay some attention to the news too don't Be biased. Don't go to one news source. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's how we're getting played right now. Pay attention to it all. Everything. Nerd. Now matters. Now matters more than probably it ever has in history. very important times humanity needs you if you're scared or afraid ask for support humanity by our inner nature by our true nature aims to support one another ohana means family Hana means work. There's a reason why the words are put together. We, by our very nature, are social, compassionate. Humane beings. Just because everybody else might lack anything at any time. It's not a good idea to also to lack it. No, don't let anybody be your excuse to be like them. As Christian Morty once said, be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society, is by no means a measure of good health. In whatever way you can have more integrity than the common civilian, have it and stick by it. Because we all benefit from that. The human in us benefits from that. But right now we have been losing our humanity day by day for years. We need you. In Whatever way that you can In the way that you specifically can And in the way that you know how to do we need you To be that So that way we can have a structure of integrity Among our society won by the foundation of freedom and justice by the Constitution, which created the platform and foundation of this entire country of the Americas. Now I don't aim to say like some arrogant politicians do, claim that this country is any better. In any other country I myself am a dual citizen with Canada and I was raised in Hawaii where we over there didn't really care much for the mainland and the evil ways of the people on the mainland those types of differences that we project onto one another and our blames are pathetic. Those are our weaknesses. I find that when I moved here to California, it was not like I thought it was. Because here, at least in California, I can say and speak for, it is a mixing, cultural mix, mixing pot of many different ethnicities from all over the world. We probably have more Indians here than many cities in India. We probably have more Mexicans here than many cities in Mexico. We probably have more Vietnamese here than many cities in Vietnam. We have heck of a lot of filipinos and as a part filipino with over a hundred cousins whose father had 12 brothers and and, and sisters or maybe it was 11 i don't know there's too many (laughs) i don't even know that really i haven't met them all but um yeah Filipinos, we we are a lot. (laughs) And in California, we're a little bit ahead of the game when it comes to the evolution of society against racism. Now, there's racist people, sure. Here and there, I I haven't seen one in a couple years or heard of there being one. Um... Pretty much, it's very accepting here. We here aren't very racist. It seems kind of stupid. And it's considered over here to be um, kind of trailer trash-ish. You know, um, even no matter what ethnicity you are, if you're racist in California, you're basically considered like... You know, trailer trash. Um, And inbred. Now, myself, I I am very much many races. So, are a lot of people in the world. But anyway. I've been rambling on, but... Now, without any further ado, President John F. Kennedy on his famous speech about secret, sur- uh, see- sorry, um, s- secret societies and the press and the role of the press. Remarks of the President to the American
1: Newspaper Publishers Association, Waldorf Astoria Hotel, New York City, April 27, 1961. Mr. Chairman, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate very much your generous invitation to be here tonight. You bear heavy responsibilities these days and a article I read uh, some time ago reminded me of how particularly heavily the burdens of present-day events bear upon your profession. You remem- may remember that in 1851, the New York Herald Tribune, under the sponsorship and publishing of Horace Greeley, Employed as its London correspondent, an obscure journalist by the name of Karl Marx, we are told that foreign correspondent Marx, stone-broke, and with a family ill and undernourished, constantly appealed to Greeley and managing editor Charles Dana for an increase in his munificent salary of $5 per installment, a salary which he and Engels ungratefully labeled as the lousiest petty bourgeois cheating. But when all his financial appeals were refused, Marx looked around for other means of livelihood and fame, eventually terminating his relationship with the Tribune and devoting his talents full-time to the cause that would bequeath to the world the seeds of Leninism, Stalinism, Revolution, and the Cold War. If only this capitalistic New York newspaper had... had treated him more kindly, (laughs) if only Marx had remained a foreign correspondent, history might have been different. (laughs) And I I hope all publishers will bear this lesson in mind. (laughs) The next time they receive a poverty-stricken appeal from a small increase in the expense account, from an obscure newspaper man. (laughs) I have uh, selected as the title of my remarks tonight the President and the Press. Some may suggest that this would be more naturally worded, the President versus the Press, but those are not my sentiments tonight. It is true, however, that when a well-known diplomat from another country demanded recently that our State Department repudiate certain newspaper attacks on his colleagues, it was unnecessary for us to reply that this administration was not responsible for the press, for the press had already made it clear that it was not responsible for this administration. (laughs) Nevertheless, my purpose here tonight is not to deliver the usual assault on the so-called one-party press. On the contrary, in recent months, I have rarely heard any complaints about political bias in the press, except from a few Republicans. (laughs) Nor is it my purpose tonight to discuss or defend the televising of presidential press conferences. I think it is highly beneficial to have some 20 million Americans regularly sit in on these conferences to observe, if I may say so, the incisive, the intelligent, and the courteous qualities displayed by your Washington (laughs) correspondents. Nor, finally, are these remarks intended to examine the proper degree of privacy which the press should allow to any president and his family. If, in the last few months, your White House reporters and photographers have been been attending church services with regularity, (laughs) that has surely done them no harm. (laughs) On the other hand, I realize that your staff and wire service photographers may be complaining that they do not enjoy the same green privileges, the local golf courses, which they once did. (laughs) It is true that my predecessor did not object as I do to pictures of one's golfing skill in action, but neither on the other hand did he ever been a secret service man. (laughs) My uh, topic tonight is a more sober one of concern to publishers as well as editors. I want to talk about our common responsibilities in the face of a common danger. The events of recent weeks may have helped to illuminate that challenge for some, but the dimensions of its threat have loomed large on the horizon for many years. Whatever our hopes may be for the future, for reducing this threat or living with it, there is no escaping either the gravity or the totality of its challenge to our survival and to our security, a challenge that confronts us in unaccustomed ways in every sphere of human activity. This deadly challenge imposes upon our society two requirements of direct concern, both to the press and to the president, two requirements that may seem almost contradictory in tone, but which must be reconciled and fulfilled if we are to meet this national peril. I refer first to the need for far greater public information, and second, to the need for far greater official secrecy. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. But I do ask but I do ask every publisher, every editor, and every newsman in the nation to re examine his own standards and to recognize the nature of our country's peril. In time of war, the government and the press have customarily joined in an effort based largely on self-discipline to prevent unauthorized disclosures to the enemy. In times of clear and present danger, the courts have held that even the privileged rights of the First Amendment must yield to the public's need for national security. Today, no war has been declared. And however fierce the struggle may be, it may never be declared in the traditional fashion. Our way of life is under attack. Those who make themselves our enemy are advancing around the globe. The survival of our friends is in danger. And yet no war has been declared. No borders have been crossed by marching troops. No missiles have been fired. If the press is awaiting a declaration of war before it imposes the self-discipline of combat conditions, then I can only say that no war ever posed a greater threat to our security. If you are awaiting a finding of clear and present danger, then I can only say that the danger has never been more clear and its presence has never been more imminent. It requires a change in outlook, a change in tactics, a change in missions by the government, by the people, by every businessman or labor leader, and by every newspaper. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned. No rumor is printed. No secret is revealed. It conducts the Cold War in short. With a wartime discipline, no democracy would ever hope or wish to match. Nevertheless, every democracy recognizes the necessary restraints of national security. And the question remains whether those restraints need to be more strictly observed if we are to oppose this kind of attack as well as outright invasion. For the facts of the matter are that this nation's foes have openly boasted of acquiring through our newspapers information they would otherwise hire agents to acquire through theft, bribery, or espionage that details of this nation's covert preparations to counter the enemy's covert operations have been available to every newspaper reader, friend and foe alike, that the size, the strength, the location, and the nature of our forces and weapons and our plans and strategy for their use have all been pinpointed in the press and other news media to a degree sufficient to satisfy any foreign power and that in at least One case, the publication of details concerning a secret mechanism whereby satellites were followed required its alteration at the expense of considerable time and money. The newspapers which printed these stories were loyal, patriotic, responsible, and well-meaning. Had we been engaged in open warfare, they undoubtedly would not have published such items. But in the absence of open warfare, They recognized only the tests of journalism and not the tests of national security. And my question tonight is whether additional tests should not now be adopted. That question is for you alone to answer. No public official should answer it for you. No governmental plan should impose its restraints against your will. But I would be failing in my duty to the nation in considering all of the responsibilities that we now bear and all of the means at hand to meet those responsibilities if I did not command this problem to your attention and urge its thoughtful consideration. On many earlier occasions I have said, and your newspapers have constantly said, that these are times that appeal to every citizen's sense of sacrifice and self-discipline. They call out to every citizen to weigh his rights and comforts against his obligations to the common good. I cannot now believe that those citizens who serve in the newspaper business consider themselves exempt from that appeal. I have no intention of establishing a new Office of War Information to govern the flow of news. I am not suggesting any new forms of censorship or new types of security classifications. I have no easy answer to the dilemma that I have posed and would not seek to impose it if I had one. But I am asking the members of the newspaper profession and the industry in this country to re-examine their own responsibilities, to consider the degree and the nature of the present danger, and to heed the duty of self-restraint which that danger imposes upon us all. Every newspaper now asks itself, with respect to every story, is it news? All I suggest is that you add the question, is it in the interest of national security? And I hope that every group in America, unions and businessmen and public officials at every level, will ask the same question of their endeavors and subject their actions to this same exacting test. And should the press of America consider and recommend the voluntary assumption of specific new steps or machinery, I can assure you that we will cooperate wholeheartedly with those recommendations. Perhaps there will be no recommendations. Perhaps there is no answer to the dilemma faced by a free and open society in a cold and secret war. In times of peace, any discussion of this subject and any action that results are both painful and without precedent. But this is a time of peace and peril which knows no precedent in history. It is the unprecedented nature of this challenge that also gives rise to your second obligation, an obligation which I share, and that is our obligation to inform and alert the American people, to make certain that they possess all the facts that they need, and understand them as well, the perils, the prospects, the purposes of our program, and the choices that we face. Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news. For it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And we intend to do it. It was early in the 17th century that Francis Bacon remarked on three recent inventions already transforming the world, the compass, gunpowder, and the printing press. Now the links between the nations, first forged by the compass, have made us all citizens of the world, the hopes and threats of one becoming the hopes and threats of us all. In that one world's effort to live together, The evolution of gunpowder to its ultimate limit has warned mankind of the terrible consequences of failure. And so it is to the printing press, to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent.
0: message to be on the show that's right you can if you go to the show's description on whatever platform you're listening to this on and mind you it does host on many platforms the SAS podcast Starseeds Angels Savant Syndrome hosts on many platforms as most podcasts do these days well if you look in the description for the show you'll find a link to message us. And you can leave a, leave a audio recording for the show and be on air. Not live. But you can ask a question or leave a statement. Heck, this show is explicit and it's rated explicit so you can even swear. You can swear at me if you want. And roast me and that's perfectly fine. I welcome anybody to say anything that they want and that's freedom of speech how it should be. I I don't know if there's a time limit on the audio recording that you're allowed to uh, record with but uh, try to keep it a little bit short I'd say at least under like half an hour if that's okay with you but yes please do message and be on the show you can do so anonymously perfectly fine
2: Me siento porque un enfermo, no como solo, fumo solo, bebo y ya no duermo Estoy muriendo porque tú no estás, es que de olvidarte no me creo capaz Deje mi vida por correr detrás, de noche ya no encuentro paz Te sueño baby cada día más, darle la vida por volver atrás Otra sonrisa y por tus caderas, yo te amo baby Sí. En Todos los días queriendo morir, si wow. no piensas en mí, llega la noche y no puedo dormir. Yo no se marchita en mí, yo quiero por tenerte y tú estás aquí. Desde ¿Qué? Hoy no te veo venir. No, 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 no. Me está pensando en demasiado despedida Porque te fuiste sin te di toda mi vida? Me siento solo en laberinto Sin salida, tú te marchaste Y me dejaste una herida Ahora camino cabis bajo y confundido No soy el mismo, mi sonrisa se ha perdido No dejo de pensar en todo lo vivido Y me quiere que tú me tires Al olvido ¿eh? ¿Por qué te espero si no volverás? ¿Por qué te llamo si no contestas? ¿Por qué te escribo si no me verás? ¿Por qué te canto si no escucharás? Quiero olvidarte más vives en mí, quiero volar y dejar de sufrir, quiero aceptar que estoy yo a sufrir, y que sea hasta la última canción que yo hago para ti. Todo el tiempo estoy pensando en ti, todos los días queriendo morir, no me pregunto si piensas en mí, ya la noche y no puedo dormir, todo se marchita en mí, yo no juego por tener que tú estás aquí, te espero y no te veo venir, respiro pero no te veo. Me voy dándote las gracias, te amo, yo fui tuyo sin mentiras ni falacias, sabes, todo lo que significas, y vete, vuela alto si crees que aquí te intoxicas, corre, Busco pues un sueño más bonito, me romperás el alma más de tu vida, me quito, me voy, sin sentido y sin razón, destruido, muerto en vida y en pedazos corazón.
0: Syndrome. Your host, the Mystic Man. Uomao ke ea o kaina
2: O humanity.